working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Zach Albetta. Today we talk with Kansas City blues and rock drummer Jan Faircloth. Jan has been in KC for almost two decades, and he has been a member of some of the busiest and most popular bands on the international blues circuit, including Trampled Underfoot, Levytown, and most recently, the Danielle Nicole Band. He also maintains a busy teaching schedule at Explorers Percussion in Kansas City, which we both agree should be part of any conversation about the country's best drum shops. If you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. We've gotten some really cool looks at what y'all are up to out there, including uh, just recently a young drummer with the Instagram handle at Benny Rolf Drummer shared a video of himself just killing it with a rock band at uh, the South Carolina State Fair, I believe. I don't know how old Benny is, but he can't be more than about 14, and he's just owning the gig like a boss, so check that out. Uh, also, your ratings and reviews on iTunes are very helpful to us, so thank you in advance for those. This episode is sponsored by Sakai Drums. You know the Sakai sound, now get to know the Sakai name. Trusted around the world for almost 100 years, Sakai's devotion to craftsmanship and passion in creating the world's best quality drums is unmatched. Handcrafted in Osaka, Japan, Sakai offers the most versatile drums from the Trilogy Vintage Series to the modern almighty Japanese Birch Recording Kit, each boasting a distinct sound and feel. Go to SakaiDrums.com to learn why studio legend Eddie Bayers, the Smashing Pumpkins' Jimmy Chamberlain, and Tedeschi Trucks Band's J.J. Johnson and Tyler Greenwell choose Sakai. Elevate your sound with Sakai. That website, again, is S-A-K-A-E-Drums.com. So I really dug this talk with Jan Faircloth. We got into the history of Kansas City blues and also the people and institutions that make the blues and drumming communities there unique and cool. Jan is, of course, very knowledgeable and insightful, but he's also just a very funny, good-hearted dude, so I think you'll enjoy this. You just got back from Iowa? Yeah. Yeah, da we played there. Daniel uh, Nicole Band? Mm-hmm. Yep. We played there on uh, Sunday night. And what, talk about that band, because that band kind of came out of Trampled Underfoot, right? Right. That band was, um, well, the last year of Trampled Underfoot, basically what happened was is that Chris, who, uh, Christian Evelyn, who was the, the, uh, the brother who drummed in that band, um, he decided at the end of 2013 that he was going to step, step away from the band. And so uh, as of the beginning of 2014, I started, um, I started playing with those guys. I had been playing with Levytown, a band here in Kansas City, for, geez, 11 and a half years, I think. Long time, yeah. Yeah, really long. So, um, so I, <clears throat> but I went to play with um, with Trampled Underfoot, and uh, it was a blast, man. That last year of their uh, of of that band was really cool. We did all kinds of stuff that I'd never done before. I mean, you know, we went to Europe, we went to or we went to Norway, and I did the Blues Cruise, which is kind of a cool thing and mm -hmm. a very cool thing. And I mean, I did all kinds of touring. We opened up with uh, or opened up for uh, George Thorogood on. I don't know, like 13 or 14 different dates. And, wow, and, cool. and uh, yeah, so it was, it was really awesome. And so, <clears throat> um, one of the other things that happened with that band was that, um, it had originally been a three piece, uh, just Danielle on, uh, uh, bass and vocals and then Nick on vocals and guitar and then Chris, 
um, playing drums and um, and occasionally they would use this uh, keyboard player, organ player from Kansas City named uh, Mike Sedovic. Everybody knows him as Shine Top. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he um, he started. He joined the band when I did at the beginning of 2014. And so he uh, and I played uh, with uh, Nick and, and uh, Danielle <clears throat> that whole last year. And at the end of um, and as lo- fate would have it, uh, he and Danielle ended up uh, getting married. Wow. Actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and at the end of uh, 2014, when Trampled Underfoot was done, uh, uh, Mike and I, or Shine Top and I, uh, started playing with, uh, kept on playing with Danielle, and then they had another uh, a guitar player named Brandon Miller here in town who uh-huh. who started playing with us too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So you you were uh, is is Trampled Underfoot still around, or did that sort of end? Oh, it, it ended. They they're doing a uh, a few reunion shows here and there. They did a. Uh, seriously, very well received uh, set of reunion shows in Kansas City at Knuckleheads mm-hmm. in uh, J- July, which was really cool. Um, they sold it out two nights in a row, which I'm is sure they did a pretty big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, so they they're doing that, and then they're doing the Blues Cruise next month in October, um, and then I've I don't know what they're doing after that. I think they have some scattered things they're doing in 2017 as well right so so, but, so you were you were only involved in that band in, in the last year or two um right but but for for people not familiar with that band or not familiar with kind of the the blues scene in general like they they made a lot of noise in in the blues world they did a lot of damage correct oh they were yeah they were really uh yeah they made a lot of noise man they were <laughs> um they <clears throat> they won the uh the the ibc the international blues talent competition in yeah. uh, 2008 which is a very major deal right. um and so they won that in 2008 and then from then on i mean they they toured uh constantly they toured into europe they toured uh you know uh just all over the united states all over canada and they just kept at it and they were yeah they were a very big deal right so right um and while they kind of sorry go ahead i was gonna say they kind of hung it up when they were you know, when they were at their, their pinnacle, which is nice. And that allows them to sort of keep on to kind of capitalize on that name and their reputation and do these reunion shows that are, that are really events, big events. Right. Right. And so Danielle Nicole, uh, has, has been doing her own front woman thing after trampled underfoot. Right. And then two, uh, in 2014, I believe in September, 2014, she went to, um, she went to uh, to New Orleans and recorded a record with uh, Andrews Osborne, mm-hmm. uh, who is a really big uh, guitar player on kind of the jam scene. Yeah, but and he's done a lot of production uh, work, like with um, I think he produced some some Green Day stuff. Hmm. If that's I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so you know he's he's a big deal. And he's really well known, and he's a great great songwriter. And so her record label, uh, Concord, I think, um, hooked those two up and, um, and they met and, and hooked up and wrote a bunch of uh, tunes and she had a bunch of songs written and she wrote some songs with him and, uh, they recorded it with, um, uh, Anders playing all these guitar parts, which are just killer. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, um, Stanton Moore playing drums on it. No shit. Yeah. Stanton plays on that record and it's, uh. Uh, it's great. Wow. It's great. It was a challenge to come in and uh, and kind of cop some of his parts and some of his feels. Yeah, uh, as you can imagine. I'm sure. So, but it so had yeah, to be a blast, right? 
Oh, it's really cool, man. Yeah. It's, and that record sounds great, man. I mean, he just, you know, everything sounds cool. All the drum sounds are really amazing and the parts are really cool. So. Yeah. So yeah. as as she's uh, like on, on the back of this record, she's doing a bunch of traveling. And, and after having done some time with you in Trampled Underfoot, she said, you're going to be my guy. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean, I kind of knew um, there was kind of talk at the beginning of Excuse me. At the beginning of uh, when I started, when I said I would join Trampled Underfoot, there was kind of talk of of me staying on to to play with uh, with her in her solo project. Mm-hmm. She and I have played together for years and years and years. I think the first time I ever met her was when she was nineteen or something. I mean, she wow. was. Um, um, and so I've played with her for years and years and years around Kansas City, and um, you know, we've become really great friends and and. Um, and it's and you know we've always had a great time playing together so uh, yeah so yeah yeah it sounded great. How does how does her uh, solo stuff uh, differ from the Trampled Underfoot? Well, I mean, I think it's a little it's a little less straight ahead blues. Mm-hmm. It's definitely less straight ahead blues. It's it's more rocky, and I think that Anders uh, had a big role in that. You know, I think that he, um, I think that that he's definitely less known as a as a you know a strictly blues player and more as like a rock player and um and I think that that's kind of what she was going for she wanted to do more of like a kind of a less straight ahead blues record because I think that's you know if you listen to um the trampled underfoot records they were they were definitely not straight ahead blues i mean they were definitely not you know uh you know, shuffle, shuffle, slow blues, shuffle, shuffle, slow blues. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, they were they were really they were varied, and all the tunes were extremely good and 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 really well written. But they were more they were more uh, blues based, I would say, than her current record is mm-hmm. than Wolf Dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and talk about Levytown because that was another huge uh, blues band in and around Kansas City, and you guys did some traveling in your own right. Yeah, we um <clears throat> that band started in uh 2002. Wow. Uh, yeah, and um it's it started in 2002 it was uh, uh my best buddy uh Brandon Hudspeth um and I we started that and um we had kind of um we had played together in another a previous band before that for a couple of years and then we um you know we became really good friends and we're actually roommates at this point and we decided that we were going to um to start a new band that was just definitely, um, you know, a little, um, he- I don't want to say heavy because I mean that, you know, I don't want you to think it's he- like heavy music, but it was definitely kind of more raw blue stuff. And so that's kind of what we were interested in doing. Yeah. And we had, um, uh, Jimmy Mead, who was the harmonica player in that band was actually, um, was actually living at, with, at our house also. And, um, and we recruited this, um, this bass player, Jack Groot, um, who had just moved to Kansas City in, at that point, and we got Jack and Brandon and I over at the house. And at the, at the beginning, we were kind of considering just doing it as a three-piece, just Jack and Brandon and I. And then Jimmy, of course, who lived there, just kind of showed up at the first rehearsal, and we were like, you know, and he started playing harmonica too, which was great. <laughs> like, you know, this is, uh, yeah, this is this is going to be great. So, um, so yeah. we had all of us together, and and man, we we toured constantly. We would play. Uh, you know, we played four or five nights a week every single week for 11 years. I mean, we wow. were incredibly, that was an incredibly tight band. And it was, you know, I mean, we were all just like, you know, best, best friends. Jimmy and Brandon and I lived together for four or five years. Yeah. And um, Jack lived like three blocks away. I mm-hmm. mean, we were just really, really, really tight. And it was, uh, it was great. You know, we played a, a just 
just tons. I mean, yeah. we just I played, geez, I mean, just a lot with that band. Right, right. And was that like your first kind of experience like that, like putting putting a band together from scratch and building it from the ground up? And uh, like, had had you done that before to that extent? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I had, yeah, I mean, it was definitely my first, my first experience doing that. We, um, I came from Western Kansas and, um, you know, in Western Kansas, I played in a couple of little blues bands, but obviously there wasn't a lot of opportunity to play, to play there. So when Mm -hmm. I moved to Kansas city, uh, my number one goal was to play music for a living. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just what I wanted to do. I had one singular focus and that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, and Brandon did too, Brandon did too. And, um, and so when we started playing with Levytown, I mean, we just we just always had um, the mindset that we were going to play as much as possible, and just um, and that's what we did. And yeah. it was um, it was you know it was great putting that band together. You know, putting that band. You know, when you when you put a band together and when you start a band, it's a lot less stress than if you come in as a sideman. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're because you know if you come in as a as a founding member of the band, you know whatever you want to do, pretty much you know, you're, you're, you can do. And right. when you, you know, in my, um, my experiences as, uh, as a, uh, as a side man, you know, that's definitely not as, as it's definitely not the case in every, uh, instance, you know, you yeah. kind of have to, you really have to, to obviously listen to more of what the, um, the band leader wants you to do, which is cool. I mean, that's like, you know, that's a different, um, that's a different, you know, musical muscle to, to flex, you yeah. know, as being able to, to, to do both of those things and to do them well is really important. Yeah. I had an interesting experience with that. Uh, when, when I was in LA, I played with, uh, the Jennifer Keith sextet, which was like a, a retro swing outfit, uh, led by Mondo Durami, who's the, the tenor sax player, founding member of Royal crown review. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, when I joined the band, like I was, I was listening to their stuff and I was watching them on YouTube and, and, uh, I was, I, I called Mondo and I, I texted him. I was like, you know, a lot of these, drum parts are like super specific. Like, do you, do you want me to do exactly that? Or do you want me to come up with something different? Like how, you know, how married are you to those drum parts? And he was like, right. no, 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 play those parts. Like <laughs> note yeah. for note. He said, we spent a lot of time like working out those grooves, working out that orchestration with the drums. And like, we want that. Um, and you know, I, I think there was a, there was a part of me that was like, oh shit, I don't, I don't get to come up with anything. I don't get to really be creative, but uh-huh. there was another part of me that was like, man, what a relief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, the, you know. it's, it's a specific target. Just hit it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, you know, there's just two, two different things that you really have to be, be, uh, comfortable with. And you play with some people, you know, as you come in as a side man or you're just playing a couple of gigs with some people and they'll say, well, you know, just do what you want. Right. You know, right. sometimes they don't really mean that though. They just don't know specifically how to tell you exactly what, what parts they do want, um, to be exactly like the recording and what parts they don't, you know? Um, and, and you know, Danielle was like that to a point, you know, I mean, there were some, there are some uh, tunes that we do that, you know, um, aren't exactly like the original, mm-hmm. um, like the, what they did on the record. Um, and then there are some songs that are exactly and uh, like they they did on the record, there's a song called um, "You Only Need Me When You're Down" on that on that record, and it has a very very specific uh, drum groove, which was a real bitch to learn. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was you know, um, 
but it's it's cool. I mean, you know, and it was really fun to go through and learn it. And uh, you know, I mean, there's you know four or five guys around Kansas City. I called up and I said, you know, God, you guys, you guys got to help me out with this, man. I I don't know what the hell he's doing on some of the stuff, but but you know, I finally got it hashed out and got it figured out, and it and it it sounds cool. I I think and yeah. um um you know uh, the other problem with with Danielle's record is that um a lot of that stuff was played with brushes. Which is really like you know they just it just does not translate as well yeah, live obviously yeah. you know so you got to figure out you know you have to figure out what what parts you can kind of, what parts you need to 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 keep that are sort of brushy right and some parts where you need to that you just you just cannot play you just can't do it you just have to you just have to figure something else out right like so you you still gotta you still gotta catch the vibe of of the brushes but you you got to be heard. Right. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're playing at a big, you know, a big festival on a big stage, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless you have a dedicated sound guy who's gonna, who's going to know your songs well enough to where he comes in and he knows that okay, on this song, you know, this is what I need to do. I need to bring up the snare or whatever, you know, if he's playing brushes, you know, then that's yeah. that's one thing. We don't have that luxury and there aren't very many bands that do, right. you know, get to a, 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 a you know, definitely a higher level. And so, um you know, so until that happens, you know, it's just like, you know, you kind of have to, you have to improvise. Yeah. So like, how, how have you done that? Have you like incorporated some buzzes with sticks or are you getting the hot rods out or like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, the hot rods. Yeah. I mean, I, I use the, uh, I use these Vader acoustic sticks. If you've ever seen them, they're kind of like the, the hot rods, except they have plastic yeah. on the inside of them. So those are really cool. And that has a really great, um, snare sound and, um, and like this, you know, one particular song I'm thinking of is a ballad, and it was, um, and it was um, a definitely a very traditional brush part on that. But I kind of was able to take a, you know, play the hi hat with a stick, and then just play um, play that uh, the, the rods with this on the snare, and it and it works. Yeah. You know, it's it's cool, and it's um, you know when you're playing in front of a big crowd, it it, it sort of um, defines the, the the pulse a little bit better than just trying to get up there and and play brushes and hoping that everybody can hear it and feel it. What year did you move to Kansas City? I moved to Kansas City in uh, 1999, January of 1999. And you were how old? I was 20, let me see here, I was 22. Okay, and and where in, where in western Kansas did you grow up? Uh, I was in Garden City, Kansas, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is way, way out west yeah. and, uh, uh, and south. And did you go to did you go to college out there? Yeah, actually, I went to uh, Garden City Community College, and um, and then I went to uh, the University of North Texas for about three or four months. I didn't know and, that. Uh, yeah, and then I, um, you know, I mean, I was really young when I went to North Texas, and um, I just, uh, you know, I I just I was not a fan of it. You know, I went there, <laughs> and and you know, I mean, my my attitude is, um, you know, I'm just not I'm just not cut out to to uh, for some of the ad- attitudes I know that it takes to be successful there. I've heard a lot of drummers that that really obviously, I mean, that's a great school and I'm not saying anything bad about the school at all, but yeah. I just was not mature enough to do that at that point because, I mean, you know, if someone yells at me and tell me, tells me I suck, that's not going to make me go, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> I'm playing better now. That just doesn't work for me. I mean, you know, I need a, you know, you know, call me, uh, 
you know, insecure or fragile or whatever, but I need, you know, I, I think it's more fun and it, you know, makes for better music when everybody's, you know, happy and in a good mood, yeah. you know, and you're not yeah. getting screamed at. And, and that's kind of what I, I found at, at least initially at, at North Texas was that there was kind of a lot of that attitude and, and I just was not cut out for that. And there were, and there was that. And then there was also, the fact that I had, I had never lived away from home, right? Uh, you know, so I mean, I was just young in a lot of in, in a lot of respects, and so I just didn't, you know, I just didn't, uh, I didn't, didn't do very well there, you know. And I so I, but I came back home to uh, to Garden City, and at that point, Frank Mantooth had moved, had moved to uh, to Garden City. Yeah. Oddly, I mean, that's like the craziest thing ever, right? Um, and for for those who don't know, Frank Mantooth is is one of the greatest, most highly regarded. Big band arrangers, pianists, jazz pianists, jazz writers, whoever educator walked the earth. Yeah, educator, just yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was just such a great human being. And at that point in time, that's what I needed. I needed someone who was really great and on a high level that was just really cool and 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 supportive and complimentary. And he he really was. He was yeah. so much fun to. To hang out with. Did you ever get to meet him when he was? Yeah, I actually met him when I was at Ball State in uh, Indiana. He came. Uh, he came to the school for like a week or two week just to do like a residency. We did a few concerts with him, um, and and it was it was really great. Just what a beautiful beautiful soul. Um, I I wanted to go back real quick because you talked about North Texas. It's mm-hmm. uh, we you know it's come up a lot on this podcast, and I've interviewed right. a couple guys who went there. Um, and you know, you, you, you say that you weren't mature enough to, to deal with it or whatever. And I think it's, it's definitely a maturity thing, but also mm-hmm. in a place like North Texas, like you said, it's just, it's personality. Some personalities thrive in that, right. in that competitive environment. Um, mm-hmm. and some don't, I don't think I would, I think I'd be in your camp. Like, f- this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and I just, yeah, I mean, I just did not have the personality and, you know, I went there, I went there a a couple of years before that for like this jazz combo camp when I was in high school. Uh-huh. And I remember I, I, and this should have been my first inkling. There was a, a very famous jazz educator, uh, uh, drum set teacher that was there. And he, um, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I was playing in this, in this combo and this, you know, and this guy came up to me and just stood right beside me in the middle of all this, this class and just said, um, he just said, why are you playing so goddamn loud when I'm playing? And then, so I'm like, you know, I just, I, I mean, I, I don't handle that. I just freeze up, you right, know? And then, right. so, you know, I was like, you know, what do I do? And so I'm, you know, I'm 16 years old. And then he, then I, then they took a solo and I remember he said, well, why are you playing so many blanking triplets? Mm. And I was like, geez, dude, yeah, you know, yeah. I had never experienced that before. And that should have been kind of an inkling that maybe I shouldn't have gone there, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I had a really good friend who who went there and um, Wes Wagner, who is a great guitar player. I mean, just unbelievable and plays with the the Army Big Band. And he after um, after he played in the whole lab band system in North Texas, he went on to get his masters at with David Baker at Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, just a great musician. And he had that sort of he had the right attitude and the right temperament to go there, I think. But, um, and so I, you know, and he and I were best friends and we had played together since we were 10 or mm-hmm. 11 or something. So, um, so, so, you know, I really didn't think that was going to work out, but, but man, I just, um, it just didn't. And interestingly enough too, is that I remember that the, the glass straw at university of North Texas was, was Greg Bissonette came down there to do a clinic 
And Greg, if if anyone's never seen a, a bisnet clinic, it's great. I mean, yeah. he is such a super nice guy, and and he comes down there and and he gives this big speech about you know if anyone's thinking about dropping out, you know, you really shouldn't do that, and you know, and and you know, you really want to stick through it and hang with it. It was in the first three or four weeks of school, and uh, and uh, then he went down there, and and I remember that he. He said that his favorite kind of music or his favorite band that he was listening to at that point, this was in 1997, was the Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget all these drummers around me just kind of going, oh, God, are you serious? (laughs) And then he he said that his favorite drummer of all time was Ringo. And these guys were appalled that he was (laughs) such a thing. And I was like, man, that's not a very open-minded sort of attitude about things. So, right. so I was kind of, you know, I, I just kind of got turned off a little bit by yeah. it. So how did how did Frank Mantooth end up in in Garden City, Kansas, and and what was your relationship with him? <laughs> well, I think he got paroled there. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, he actually came out. He he met the um, um, he met the piano teacher at Garden City Community College. I, I, I think at some sort of convention. I hope I had the story right. And they met met her at some convention. And she said that she would like for him to come out and do an artist in residence, which was, um, you know, which for a couple of years before that, they had some jazz people as artists in residence. No one super big, but still, I mean, for Garden City, it was really cool. And um, and he said that, you know, and she just kind of sh- shot that idea at him and expecting him to just blow her off. But he was like, oh, that sounds great. Mm. And she was shocked. And um, and so he came out and did like uh, was originally, I think, was supposed to do maybe six months or a year or something there. And um and he ended up marrying a a, a lady there, another teacher, another teacher in in Garden City, and mm-hmm. so he moved all the stuff there, and he lived in in Garden City, and he taught the community band, and he um, uh, yeah, he taught the community. He was a uh, he had this uh, this this uh, group called Musicians Anonymous that would hang out after the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> After the community big band uh, gigs on Monday night, we'd go to this bar and hang out, and it was just so much fun. And and um, so yeah, that's how he ended up there. And then he ended up having a um, he had a, a son with uh, with right. Carrie, his wife, and his son actually just blows my mind. But his son is now in college, and I remember when that kid was born. It just seems like wow. yesterday. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how he how he ended up there, and then um, unfortunately he passed away there also. Yeah, but was it ten years ago or not that long ago? Oh, I think it was longer than that actually. I know um, I, I was in school at UMKC when it happened, but yeah, I was uh, I you know I uh, was in Kansas City. Uh, I think it was more than ten years ago, maybe. But, I th- I think it was closer to probably fourteen or fifteen years ago because I think that his son is old enough to where he he doesn't remember his dad. I don't okay. believe. So okay. I think that. Uh, and he was like 51 or something, man. Yeah. He was really young. Freak heart attack. Like, well, they said that that morning his wife said that, and he was, and Frank would go out and run and stuff and was very, you know, took care of himself, you know, fairly well. And, uh-huh. and, uh, he woke up one morning and his wife said that he told her that he just wasn't feeling well. And she went to school and he was going to go out for a run before he had to be at school. And I guess that he, um, he was literally going out for a run, walked out the front door, and just fell off the front step. And they said it was just an instant. Uh, he had a heart attack and died instantly, which was wow. horrible. I mean, Man. just an un- really unexpected. Everybody was just so shocked that that happened. Yeah, I had a I had a great kind of uh, full circle experience because uh, when he was 
at Ball State when I was in my undergrad doing that residency thing, he he busted out this chart on us. It's called Take Only for Pain. Uh, and, uh, he said, uh, this is a, this is a chart that was commissioned by a, a big band in Kansas city called the Boulevard big band. And, uh, the, the leader asked me to, to hurt the trumpets. So like <laughs> the chart, you know, the chart just has this monstrous, hard, high, like unison trumpet part. Um, but you know, so, and you know, I wasn't hip to Kansas city. I wasn't even thinking about going there yet, but a few years later I found myself in Kansas city playing man tooth charts with the Boulevard big band. With the Boulevard big band. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. It was, it was really cool. Um, so, so you got to Kansas city in 99. Um, yeah. what, how, how did you find it? Like what were your first impressions of, of Kansas city as a, as a music town? Um, <clears throat> well actually, you know, I mean, uh, just talking about Frank and Frank knew a bunch of people up here and, um, and so he, you know, he kind of told me that there were some really, you know, there's some great players here, and mm-hmm. and he was definitely more of a jazz player. Um, I mean, w- way more of a jazz player than I am. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, but he, you know, he said there was a really good a really good scene here in a lot of different kinds of music, and mm-hmm. um, and so even before that, like when I was in high school, I graduated in '94. Even before that, you know, Lawrence, Kansas, which is not very far from here, had a bunch of really great bands. Yeah. Uh, stick and paw and um uh there were just you know there were tons of, of really cool bands that were from lawrence right. and so I, K, I, ku is there it's a college town it's like it's like the right. athens georgia of the midwest exactly <laughs> so and so and it's it's you know it's 30 minutes away from kansas city so i kind of you know growing up in western kansas i always kind of had a an inkling that kansas city was <clears throat> was a good music town and then i had a friend that was going to a uh, kansas city art institute and um and he and I have, again have been best friends for for ages and ages and ages. And um, he lived up here, and um, so I just kind of I came up here and uh, and um, you know would would crash out on his couch occasionally, and just figured out that man, I really I really liked Kansas City, and it yeah. was it was comfortable, and it wasn't expensive, and I liked the weather. And um, you like the weather? <laughs> I do like the weather. <laughs> I don't like I don't like the weather today. It's a hundred degrees out, but oh. I. I I don't. My, I like winter. Tell you the truth, I like winter. And um, well, I like uh, winter too. But that that midwestern winter is is another level, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. The ice is is horrible. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah. So I moved up here uh, uh, at the beginning of '99, and I mean, it was just. And that's uh, like I said. I mean, uh, and I knew a bunch of other musicians. Mike Patrum, another buddy of mine, who's a drummer here in town. Mm-hmm. He plays with Kerry Livgren from, from Kansas, and um, um. He had lived here or lived here and um and was an actual drummer and actually played the kind of music that I wanted to play and he said that you know there was a good scene and and so yeah, so I just decided it's probably a, a good place to start at and what what was the kind of music you wanted to play um you know I, I really was interested in playing blues or rock mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't mind you know and i in in western Kansas we played a lot of country music but but the country music that we played i mean you know if you look at it country music since the, the mid '90s has changed so much that it's unrecognizable now, and so the kind of country music that we were playing at that point was was very was old school country music, and there was a scene for that up here. You know, there right. were there were bands playing that. So I like you know I either wanted to play that or uh, I liked blue stuff or just you know just rock stuff. I just kind of really wanted to come up here and start playing and just find people and 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 see what uh, what I could what I could do. Yeah. Did you did you have a desire to kind of like be be part of of those old traditions like the blues the country like it 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 doesn't sound like you were wanting to 
you know, go to Kansas City and put together an original band with a, like, you know, uh, a new, um, where you're like, you know, riding, riding the edge of, of the latest trends in music or whatever. It seems like you right. kind of had a connection to the older traditions and wanted to be part of those and figure out how you could kind of make your mark in, in those traditions. Yeah, definitely. I would say that's definitely true for country music. I mean, I definitely really had an affinity for the for the old school <clears throat> country stuff and the way it was played. I really love that. Um, you know, the blues stuff, to be honest with you, I just really hadn't been, you know, knowing what I know now, I, I really had not been um, exposed to to a lot of the traditional blues stuff. Since then, I mean, I really have, and I, I really have grown to really love it and study it. And, yeah. um, but at that point, I mean, I just look back at, at, at that point in time and I just, you know, I didn't really know uh, um, a lot about the traditions of those kind of musics, mm-hmm. of those two different genres. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, I mean, I was not definitely not opposed to coming up here and starting a band, but, but I think my main goal, like at the beginning, was to just get it, you know, to get my foot in the door and start playing uh, professionally and just start making a living at it. And then, you know, I'd be able to kind of, kind of, uh, you know, kind of um, pick and choose what I wanted to do after that, which is definitely what happened. Right, right. And so what were, what were the first, like, what were the first gigs in Kansas City? What were the first inroads into, into the, you know, the scene that you've been a part of now for so long? Right. Well, um, you know, I mean, I played a lot of, uh, I played a lot of pickup gigs, obviously, for the first year and a half or so that I was here. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I a lot some, and... Yeah, I subbed for um for some country stuff and I subbed for a lot of blues stuff. Um I think I actually played in a couple of little blues bands before I um before I joined this 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 band that was the first band that I played in that we really uh, like, you know, played a lot. We didn't really tour, but we we played a lot around town and stayed really busy was a uh, called the Cobalt Project. And that band actually had uh Brandon the, the, the guitar player from Levytown in it, mm-hmm. and then the, the singer was Sue Stubbs, and uh, then we had some other other guys. Howard Collins was the keyboard player in it. We had several different bass players, um, and so I started. You know, that was the first like real band I started playing with. So I would say that that was really the first band I started playing with, where I started to meet people around the scene. I mean, you know, and meet meet the right people. The you know the people that could give you you know gigs and get you get you jobs, and that's. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say that's the first thing. And then, you know, we played, um, that band stayed together from November of 2000 until, uh, about October of 2002, which is when Levytown, um, started. And then by that point, you know, I'd been here long enough to where I really, um, I knew a lot of the, the guys in town. Um, and, um, that's kind of really where it took off really was when I started playing with Levytown. I've been you know more and more kind of fascinated with the blues uh recently because mm-hmm. you know having having moved to Atlanta I I started playing with this band Delta Moon right IBC winner in 2003 by the way mm-hmm. um nice uh, so you know through through them and and through other people and sources around here I've been getting hip to like the southern delta blues tradition I interviewed a guy named Mike Duffy who went to North Texas and and lived in Austin for a time and I talked to mm-hmm. him about the Texas blues thing um I want to talk to you about what, like, what what do you think defines Kansas City blues? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've heard, and I'm laughing about this because you know, if you ask ten different people, you're going to get eleven different opinions on <laughs> uh, on on that on that kind of subject. I mean, um, 
you know, Kansas City music, obviously, and blues especially, was really um, informed by the territory bands, like you know, like Duke or uh, uh, Count Basie in particular, and mm-hmm. then um, uh, Big Joe Turner is from Kansas City. So yep. there's definitely a big swing uh, element to to you know, like the older Kansas City style music. I had my buddy Sam Platt, and you probably know Sam, but um, he's from I don't here. actually. Oh, he's a great dude. See, he's this is this Kansas. is this is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because like for all the years I spent in Kansas City, I I'd never really matriculated into the blues scene. I didn't play any blues gigs. Um so like most of the names you're you're firing off here, like I either know of them or I just don't know them. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> okay. So so you're you're educating me about about, you know, my my second hometown. So this is good. Oh. Well, that's good to hear. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyway, so Sam is a drummer here in town, and he um, I, I saw this thing on Facebook a couple of days ago, or a couple of, maybe a month or two ago. And anyway, he said that the thing that uh, if if there's like a quintessential Kansas City shuffle, it's you play the you know the ride the uh, jazz ride pattern mm-hmm. over swung eighth notes on the snare drum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's you know I mean that's a good, good of explanation as then as I can come up with for some. For, um, for for at least Kansas City drumming, you know, yeah. I mean Kansas City blues drumming. But um, so as far as like Kansas City, you know, swing or Kansas City blues music goes, I think that you know, like like I said, there's definitely a big swing element to it. Um, there, you know, you, you'll hear all this this you know specifically talking about drumming. You'll t- hear a lot of people say, well, there, you know, there's a Chicago shuffle and there's a Texas shuffle and then there's West Coast shuffles. And I mean, if you get down to, right down to it, especially when you listen to Chicago shuffles and Texas shuffles, I mean. They are really the same thing in a lot of respects, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of times they're exactly the same thing, right? You know. <laughs> um, and so it's it's always it's always baffled me when people say that. It's like, um, I, you know, I've just come to the conclusion that you know, there's really drumming wise, there's just really not much difference. There's a lot of difference between different drummers, but I don't think there's, but I don't think there's. I mean, and I know that you're, well, I'm going to get all kinds of, you know. It would be all kinds of hate mail saying that oh it's wrong or it's all kinds of you know but but man I if you listen to a lot of it man a lot of it is is the same you know from from Chicago to Texas now in the West Coast stuff that is a little bit different because it's very um, you know it's very light on the snare drum generally speaking you know mm-hmm. it's definitely um, it's definitely jazzier yeah it's not nearly as loud and heavy as like a Texas groove or a Chicago groove right um, so. It, so there, there is a little, there is a noticeable difference. Yeah, and I've I've heard other people uh, sort of echo your sentiment about like there is there is no defined Chicago shuffle. What's called a Chicago shuffle in Chicago might be called a whatever shuffle in somewhere else, but it's basically the same thing. Right. Um, and uh, and I you know even though there are tons and tons of variations on the shuffle beat, I think it's it's really hard to pin down ownership <laughs> or, right. oh, or, yeah. or Absolutely. geography. Um, yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting what you said about, about like Kansas city jazz, you know, informing Kansas city blues, because like you, you go back and you listen to, you know, big Joe Turner or, or even some of that count Basie or Benny Moten stuff. Um, you know, if you, if you played big Joe Turner for the average listener and mm-hmm. asked him, is this jazz or blues? I, I, you know, I doubt yeah. many of them would be able to really give you a, a straight answer or tell you right. why, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's really, it's really cool to kind of look back on, on the, 
the history of Kansas City music and how if you, if you go back far enough at a certain point, it was it was all kind of part of the same thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it split off a little ways down the road into blues and jazz and country and whatever right. else. But like, you know, those those artists like Big Joe and and uh, got to get got to get Chuck Haddock's on the <laughs> on the podcast. Oh, to, yeah, there you go. To really educate us. Um, Chuck Haddix is a, for those yeah. who don't know, and, and nobody outside Kansas City would probably, but he's an archivist, a DJ, uh, the, uh, curator of, I think, one of the largest collections of vinyl mm-hmm. in the world, uh, yeah. which is at the music library in UMKC. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, so yeah, if you, is he still doing the fish fry? Oh, yeah, man. He, yeah, he just celebrated like the, I don't know, the 25th anniversary or something of it that's um, awesome and i'm sure they yeah, stream it right I, they do stream it yeah, yeah you go so, to, I think kcur.org to, right kcur.org so if mm-hmm. if uh if any listeners out there want to want to listen to chuck and and hear some super deep cuts of uh vinyl sure. and and really deep kansas city history uh check out uh, chuck haddock's the fish fry yeah and the thing is is that that show is just i mean it is it's amazing. He does four hours every single Friday and Saturday night. Right. And I mean, you know, he doesn't do reruns. He doesn't do, um, you know, I think occasionally maybe he might replay an episode, but it's, it's very, very rare. And I mean, he just, you know, eight hours a week of this kind of music and he yeah. does his homework and he, and it's, it is astounding what that guy can do. That, that sh- show really should be uh, syndicated all over NPR, I think. I agree. But, I agree. And the only song he ever repeats is the, like the theme song at the top of the, yeah, the top of the show. Yeah. That Louis Jordan tune. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Um, I was, I was never a vinyl head, uh, um, but I, I know guys I went to school with like Sam Wiseman and, and, and uh-huh. these cats who just spent hours in that archive. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's the, the room is the size of a basketball court and it's just wall to wall vinyl shelf after yeah. shelf after shelf. So Unbelievable. Cool. Um, so talk about, you know, we've, we've talked about Kansas city blues as, as an art form, but talk about the Kansas city blues scene. Like how, how has it changed since you've been there? Uh, do people come and go? Do they kind of stay put? Um, what's been your experience in what, 17 years in that scene? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, um, in some respects it's changed, you know, quite a bit and in some respects it hasn't. I think that when I was, um, you know, I, there aren't a lot of the same people around that were playing when I first started playing. I mean, there, you know, there, there are, there are some, mm-hmm. um, the, the main difference is, is there just aren't as many places to play as there were in, in, in 99. Um, and that's I'm sure true everywhere in, in the United States in every genre of music. However, mm-hmm. I am I am not the guy who thinks that you know the sky is falling and right. that you know <laughs> um, that nobody can ever make a living doing this anymore and that you know no one ever goes out and hears re- a real music and there's no good bands playing anymore. You know, yeah. I, there's um, been a market for live music for ten thousand years, so let's everybody yes. just chill out. Exactly. And <laughs> if you read if you read like you know Louis Armstrong's biography. He talks about in there how, how difficult it was to to uh, to play in the 20s and 30s. So it has always been hard to do it. I don't care right. what anyone comes through and or says, you know, with nostalgia says that you know, well, back in my day it was so much better. No, it wasn't. Right. You just think it was. Right. Uh, right. So you know, so that was kind of the one main difference between when I moved here uh, in 99 and now is that there, you know, there are fewer places to play. Um, 
back in those days, there weren't any. I mean, we have two. Uh, we have some some artists now that are really like you know world, um, you know world renowned. You have Samantha Fish and you have Danielle, the band that I play with. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, and Trampled Underfoot um, also. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I moved here in '99, there we did not have that. We right. didn't have these these acts that were so widely known. Um, having said that, there were probably more uh, bands playing around at that point, but none of them were as as um, critically acclaimed, I don't think, as as the ones we have now in mm-hmm. Kansas City. Um, but um, you know, but there are you know the 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 people that were that were serious and were great musicians back then are still around. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and the ones that were kind of not are are not. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and and I do I do it was, it was kind of weird because in 2014 I went on the road with Trampled Underfoot and and so I wasn't in town a lot really for that entire year and so when I was able to come back in and go to jams and stuff like that it was it was shocking to go, to see like different people and there is a, a whole new crop of younger musicians that are playing and uh you know and it's it's it, it felt weird to go into a, a jam and you know nobody knew who i was yeah you know what i mean and i you know and the reason i say it is because you know i had all these people that that i knew for 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 years that had you know that were on the scene and then just kind of in, the, in 2013 2014 it was just sort of a kind of a, a, a there's a turnover yeah. in, in some of the people playing. So, which is cool. I mean, I'm not complaining about that at all. There's some, some great players that are younger playing here. And, um, um, so, so yeah, man, there's some great players here that, um, that you probably won't hear of. Right. Or very often, but, um, yeah. How, uh, how receptive is the, the Kansas city blues scene? And, and I guess the blues world in general, um, how how receptive is it to change and to the new? And uh, do you feel do you feel like people are resistant and and feel like they got to kind of keep certain traditions alive or keep things in a box? Uh, or is there is there an openness to you know bringing other influences into the blues? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, in Kansas City, um, you know, I never really run into that whole you know the blues Nazi. Um, attitude in kansas city necessarily so there is such a thing as a blues nazi oh my god yes it's not just jazz nazis oh no 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 no. we we can sympathize there are definitely blues nazis too um uh, you know um uh but i you know in kansas city there really isn't i really haven't run into that you know i mean i read about it more i hear about it more when i go to other places um but but i think and and really i think that um, the majority of that that attitude, to be real honest with you, is from non musicians. I think that mm. musicians, you know, at least the ones that that I that I play with a lot, um, and the ones that I hang around, aren't really they don't really care about that. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I think that they're all that you know, just being a musician kind of sit you know put you in a in a certain mind frame to be a little more open. I mean, maybe I'm being very uh, naive in saying that, but. But no, it I seems like so. it's 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 true. I mean, just the the nature of being a musician, especially a freelance musician, is that you are forced to come in contact with all kinds of different musicians in all kinds right. of different contexts, and you either you know are open to it and adapt and make something cool happen, or you don't work. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, you just can't. 
Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you do that, you just you don't work. Yeah. You, you know, you play in the you play in the basement. Well, it's know? interesting that you say that the you know a lot of the resistance comes from from non musicians, like from the listeners. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's I mean it's probably that way in in any art form or delivering any product. Like people get used to a certain product, they're like, I want that hamburger. Don't change my hamburger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, so have you have you done uh, any of the heavy lifting of like trying to change people's minds about like no check this stuff out this is really you know I know it's not you know traditional straight up and down blues but check it out like have you done that uh, either either mm-hmm. in conversation or or through what you're playing uh, definitely yeah I, you know I think in in both respects you know I mean I. Um, I First of all, and just through through listening and through suggesting music to play, you know, to listen to. Um, I mean, I like I like such a wide variety of music, and um, I mean, I like a wide variety of of, of blues stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I like I like stuff that's more modern, and then of course, I like stuff that's you know the older stuff and stuff that's done in that tradition. That's and that's really cool. But um, and this is kind of goes along with the, the playing part of it too, is that I listen to so much different kinds of music that. Um, that I think just the the all the other kinds of stuff I listen to really informs what I play, um, what I play when when you know when I play with a band. I mean, there's there is a straight up like punk rock breakdown at the end of one of Danielle's songs, <laughs> and I kind of and I you know and I I I, I kind of started doing that on the drums. It's like a, a double time thing, and um and that just that's what I always think of every time I play that. And I mean, I'm such a huge punk and, and metal fan mm-hmm. and um and um and and so you know i think that that just you know after you put in an, enough time on the instrument and playing music i think that you know just listening to, to different kinds of music really inform what you're doing every every in every kind of music that you play yeah yeah and i think in in that kind of a, t- a context like the average listener you know, at at the end of that song, I think the average listener or the average blues fan isn't thinking like, "Oh, they just went punk." Fuck this. Right. You know, right. I think I think they're they they perceive it as just like, "Oh, this this just went up a notch." Like, uh-huh. you know, I'm not seeing anything different than I was 30 seconds ago. It just you know they're <laughs> right. adding. If it's if it's done well, you know, and I mean, if you, um, you know, if if it's done well, then then that's you know then that's definitely true. It's it's another thing. It's an entirely different thing. When you have someone that doesn't know the style and has not put in their time or the, the time and the the study to play uh, to play other kinds of music, you mm-hmm. know, if I was going to go play a jazz gig, uh, you know, you would very quickly, you especially, uh, <laughs> you know, someone who's very a, a great jazz drummer would understand that. Look, this guy has not put in, put in the time <laughs> listening to you know uh, you know straight ahead uh, bebop records, which I haven't, you know, and I mean you get that a lot too with with. Uh, with blues players and you get that a lot with, with blues players because everybody thinks that playing blues is a very easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? You one the one, four, five thing, you know, the, um, you know, well, it's only three chords. How hard can it be? You know, people just don't understand how difficult that is. And it's, 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 it makes you cringe when you go to a blues jam somewhere and someone drummers are especially notorious for doing this. They'll put in something that, just makes absolutely no sense at all right. to what they're, you know, to what they're playing. And I mean, it's, it's glaringly obvious. Yeah. Con- content without context. Exactly. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. 
You're, you're reminding me of something that uh, our, our mutual beloved friend and mentor, Doug Allwater, has been known to say about, about learning styles and listening. He, uh, he said, you know, it's, it's hard to learn a style that you don't like. It's hard to get really good at a style that you don't like because if you don't like it, you're not going to listen to it. And if you don't listen to it, then you'll never truly master it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I so agree with that. And I mean, you know, and it took me a long time because when I was, you know, when I was in high school, I mean, everybody wanted, you know, you'd, you'd read Modern Drummer and, and according to Modern Drummer in 1993, you had to listen to, you had to really I mean, just live with Roy Haynes and Art Blakey and Tony Williams and all these guys. And, and that's great. I mean, I love that kind of music. But, I, you know, I just, I'm honest with you. I just don't listen to it as much as someone who really loves that kind of music and someone who wants to play that kind of music. Like, I'm sure you have spent, you know, countless hours with those guys I just mentioned. But, but well, it it's, it's interesting you should mention that because one of, one of the reasons that I've kind of, turned away from jazz in, in recent years is that I talked about this in my interview with, with Matt, my partner, like I, I always had, uh, you know, an academic and an intellectual appreciation for jazz. But I, I realized after I got out of college that I didn't, I, I wasn't really passionate about as much of the jazz world as, as I thought I was. And there was only a small fraction of that music not a small fraction, but you know, definitely, <laughs> definitely not the whole landscape. Um, there, there were only certain things that really spoke to me on an emotional level that I, you know, right. that I was really inspired to listen to. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, and and that combined with when you know when I heard Doug say like you know it's it's hard to really master something that that you don't like. Um, then I I started thinking. Uh, you know, maybe maybe there are drummers who are, are better equipped to to really truly become jazz masters. I can play jazz, and I love jazz, and I'll always mm -hmm. jump at an opportunity to do it. And I think I'm I'm good at it. But I'm not one of the guys uh, who, like you sp said, spent countless hours just transcribing records and right. and doing that whole thing and just insatiable with it. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, as as you were developing. Um, you know, professionally, how were you developing musically? Who were you listening to? Who were you go going to see? Um, well, you know, I mean, I, um, I just, uh, as far as, I mean, you know, I mean, um, <laughs> a lot of people, you know, I mean, it just, I've, I've always listened to a lot of different kinds of music and I don't think that there's, I don't think that I've ever, um, I don't think there was any like a shift or anything to where I listened to a lot of, 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 where I switched to, you know, listening to a lot of one various kind of thing. I mean, since I was a kid, you know, my dad was always a big music lover and he was, he, he was a, uh, a kind of a, he was a drummer, you know, he bought the first drum set. He wasn't <laughs> kind of a drummer. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope he's not, I hope he's not hearing this. Uh, but, <laughs> I'll have to, to stop him at this point before I say that. But, um, but anyway, so, but but because of him, I mean, I really developed a love of music and I mean a love of all kinds of music. And until um, – and, and, you know, and then when I got into high school, I, I kind of told myself, you know, look, I, you know, I kind of figured out that I wanted to be a professional musician. And so I geared my listening towards wanting to um, – again, like I said, I mean, you know, um, back in the 90s, man, they told you if you want to be a professional musician, you had to know all these – these different styles of music. And the first one they wanted you to learn was jazz. And so I really tried to listen to a lot of, of jazz music. And I kind of, at that point, I, you know, I would tell everybody, well, you know, that's what I like. I like listening to jazz music, but mm -hmm. you know, in reality, 
I loved Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nirvana and all that stuff that was that was really popular at that point in time and really spoke to me. Yeah. And was incredibly important. Um, and so, you know, and, and so I, I, I kind of, you know, after I got, got away from North Texas and I started playing professionally here in Kansas City, I got to the point where I just said, well, you know, I just had to be honest with myself and, and I like all different kinds of music. And, uh, now I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the, the stuff I listen to. I mean, I listen to, I love, I love punk rock. I love metal. I love blues, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love country. I love bluegrass. You know I mean? I just, just on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of different kinds of, of, uh, of music that I listen to. I think, uh, one of the, you know, one of the things that, that, all of those types of music has have in common is that they're they're storytelling forms, you know. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I think I think that's one of the reasons that that um, a lot of jazz didn't end up really resonating with me is because it's it's these days it's primarily an instrumental form, right? And yeah, yeah. and you know the the stuff that really turned me on is like when I when I would play with a singer, like when I would play with Shay. You know, right. that's that's when I felt like, oh, this is this is lighting me up, you know, and it's because yeah. there's lyrics, there's a story there, you know, mm-hmm. um, and absolutely you can tell a story instrumentally, but it's more of an abstract sort of expressionistic uh, uh, thing. Um, but but yeah, I think I think you and I definitely have that in common. Like we we need to be part of the story. We want to tell a story with what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you know, I love lyrics and I love lyricists, and I, you know, I think that that's very, uh, very important, and it and it speaks to me. And um, yeah, definitely all those kind of musics, all those kinds of music that I just uh, said are are like you said, very, very much storytelling uh, kinds of stuff. I want to talk about a, a couple of beloved Kansas City institutions at which you've, <laughs> yes. you've spent many an hour, and, and the first one you already uh, mentioned is Knuckleheads. Um, yes, that's that's one of the great blues clubs in America, is it not? Oh, that's one of the greatest music venues in America. I think. <laughs> I mean, they it started it started out really as a blues place, but now I mean they have just all kinds of stuff there. I mean, you know, they even have, uh, you know, I think a couple of months ago they had Queensrÿche, you know, and I mean they have really? bands. Oh yeah, they have bands like that a lot. They have they have heavy bands. Uh, I think that the only thing that Frank Frank Hicks, who is a very good friend of mine, and he's the owner and and uh, of that place, I think the only kind of music that he won't have in there is is hip hop because um, he just is not uh, down with 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 hip hop. Unfortunately, I would you know love to see that, but yeah. he, <laughs> I I don't think he's going to have that. But he plays every other. I mean, you know. Um, and I guess that you know he doesn't do a lot of of heavy jazz stuff, but everything else in between, man, he does right. a lot of of country stuff. He does a lot of and and cool, cool country stuff, cool right. country stuff, cool blue stuff. I mean, it just is. You go there any night of the week, and you can pretty much well Wednesday through Sunday, and you can pretty much be guaranteed to see something that's just great. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's I mean that's been your your home base since you got there, right? You're. Yeah, probably, well, probably on a Wednesday through Saturday, it's going to be you playing drums there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Levytown played uh, and still does. Uh, we had a have a, they they still have it. Um, uh, the jam session on Sunday afternoons, mm-hmm. which is kind of an institution. I mean, that that's you know, I mean, routinely you'll get seven hundred people there um, sitting outside and drinking on a Sunday, on a summer Sunday afternoon, and yeah. then you'll have. You know, you'll have 150, maybe not that many. You'll probably have 50 to 75 jammers that'll show up, yeah. and it's 
that's um, that happens pretty pretty routinely. Um, and so that's a you know so I played there every week uh, from 2007 once a week at least from 2007 till uh, the end of 2013. And so yeah, I mean I put in a, a ton of time there. That's a beautiful thing about that jam session that that so many people just come out to hang and and listen. Uh-huh. Um, because I think at, you know, definitely at jazz jam sessions and at, at, uh, you know, singer songwriter type things, you know, most of the attendees want to get on stage. Nobody's hanging out there and listening, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, and I've, I've been to a, a, a few jams in a few different genres where like the people come out, it's a listening thing. It's not uh-huh. just, it's not just the musicians, you know, pissing contest. Right. Um, that's it's and it, I think it speaks to you know the 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 vibrance of the of the blues community there. Yeah, and I mean you know Knuckleheads has that jam on Sundays, and then but they also have uh, a a jam that's kind of the same format on Saturdays too. And I mean there'll be it's just it's the same thing, and it's weird because it's a different crowd. The Saturday mm-hmm. crowd and the Saturday musicians are different. Uh, in a lot of respects and a lot of, a lot of people that come there on Saturdays are different than the ones that come there on Sundays. So, I mean, you just have a, a really big group of people that in this community that come out and play and come out to listen. Yeah. So, uh, Kansas city is, is home to, you know, one of the great blues venues, one of the great music venues. It's also home to one of the great drum shops, uh, in Explorers <laughs> percussion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so you've, you've been teaching there for a long time now, right? Yeah, I started teaching there. Actually, well, I back up. I started working there at the end of uh, at the end of two thousand three, beginning of two thousand four, and mm-hmm. then at the end of two thousand four, um, I started teaching there. And uh, I had uh, my first student was a guy who owned a skate shop in Kansas City. I honestly don't remember his name, and uh, he took about two lessons and then quit. And but then I just kind of I just kind of started building it up over time, and I mean. Um, and then I got so busy doing that that I kind of had – I told Wes and Loreen, um, Wes Faulkner and Loreen Faulkner who are husband and wife and they mm-hmm. own the place. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I was like, well, you know, I've just – I've got so many students here that I just – I can't work up front anymore. I just got to teach. And uh, they were really gracious and supportive and said, well, you know, go do your thing and just teach. And and so at one point I was teaching probably – I was teaching probably 40, 41 lessons a week. Whoa. And, yeah, and then playing four or five nights a week on top of that. Yeah, you know? that's um, a living so, right there, man. Oh, man. <laughs> you wanted to yeah, make a living in music. That's <laughs> great. Had no kids, you know. I, didn't, <laughs> I tell people that, you know, back in those days, I didn't even, I didn't even know how to check my bank account. <laughs> I, was just, I was just sure that there was always plenty of money in there. Yeah. So, you know, um, um, so yeah, I mean, so I've been teaching there a lot and, um, uh, and now it's kind of scaled back a little bit because I'm out of town more often. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to, to keep, you know, a fourth grader um, if you're there for two weeks and then you're gone for three. And then, right. you know, I mean, st- and, and that's completely understandable. Um, yeah. But that, that drum shop, I, I'm telling you, I mean, I'll just say something about that. I, Explorers is a rarity mm-hmm. um, amongst music stores uh, in the United States. And I don't mean just – and. Um, and I don't mean like local music stores and chain music stores. I mean, you know, as far as drum shops go, there just aren't that many that are just exclusively uh, drum shops. And when you go into Explorers, I mean, every person that works there is a drummer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 
every every person that's in there is a drummer and it's just it's amazing i mean it's like you know it's like the drummer's clubhouse in yeah Kansas. it's it's like you know forks drum closet or or right. drum shop or or la pro or like right. it, you know it is exactly like those places and it's not often in the conversation with those places as as you know one of the great drum shops in america but it should be if for no other reason than the fact that it's huge yeah it's huge <laughs> and i mean you know it's it's um it's huge, and and I I really do. I have over the years I have um, come to know Wes and Lorene, the the two owners of that place, and I really have a general affinity for those two people. And I mean, I just I love them to death, and and I really have a respect for him. I, I really have a respect for Wes. You know, he he started that drum shop off um, with he was he went to UMKC and mm-hmm. sold drumsticks out of his locker at umkc from what right. i understand he had like 140 dollars in the bank i remember that and sold drumsticks i don't remember him he, selling but i remember this hearing this story because he was way right. before my time but i had forgotten about that story man yeah and i mean he just is um you know i mean he just is uh he it's it's you know it's the american dream yeah. <laughs> i mean really he has really taken it from from nothing and built up a really great, vibrant, important business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kudos to those guys. I really, yeah. I, I can't tell you how much I really, I really admire and respect those two people yeah. a lot. Wes is so. a character too, man. They can <laughs> talk and talk and talk and it's, Oh a, my God. It's unbelievable, <laughs> man. Like the whole time, the whole time I was in LA, I would, I would come to Kansas city to visit and he'd just want to talk about the freeways. He'd be like, so, so, so where are you living? Cause like it's the, the backstory is that, you know, Danny Carey grew up in Kansas city and went to UMKC and, and him and Wes are, are really close friends. And Wes will go visit Danny in LA all the time. So Wes thinks he's hip to the whole freeway system and he'd be like, you know, so where, how, how do you get down to Disneyland? Like you take the, you take, take the 10 across to the five or I was yeah. like, no, usually I go, you know, down the, down the one ten to the, uh-huh. <laughs> to the 91 to you'd be like oh oh yeah yeah i know and just on and on with the freeways and yeah. the other my other memory about him is that like if you're trying to sell him something if you're trying to get trade-in value oh. he will wait you out man he will oh. have you standing at the desk for an hour and a half like <laughs> I, have, I have seen that happen so many times <laughs> you know and i mean now it's you know i've been there for Geez, what, 12, 13 years now? And, and I can see it, man. People walk up there and they have something in their hand that they want to sell. And, and I, I just know what's, I just know how this is going to play out. He's going to sit there and he, and you're, like he said, he just waits you out, man. He right. just gets on the computer and checks stuff and, you know, just. He'll ask and, you a uh, question. I remember I brought a, I brought a kick pedal in there or something and I just, I uh-huh. had it on the desk and, you know, he, he'd ask me, like, what do you want for it? And I told him and he like, like you said, on the computer, you know, fo- <laughs> phone rings. He takes that call. And right. He's like, Oh yeah, Zach's still here. Okay. Let's ask him one more question. Well, when, when'd you get it? Uh, five years ago. Okay. Hang on. Goes to the back. You know, this went on for an hour. And by the, like, I was just like, give me $10. I'm fucking out of here. I- <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. He is a, you know, and this is a story kind of along those lines too, is that he, uh, one time I, when I was, um, Years and years and years ago, before I even worked at Explorers, my car got broken into. My van, my truck got broken into, and and all your my car, stuff. Your car, your truck, stuck. and your van? No, just my truck van. <laughs> no, my truck got broken into, and and they took. I had a Yamaha recording custom kit that got stolen, mm. hurt, mm. and uh, but I had some symbols that got stolen too, and so I started working at Explorers. And years later, after this, you know, this had happened years later, and then I was working at Explorers years after that. Then this 
uh, Kevin Sarevich, you remember him? Oh, yeah. Kevin came in and had some symbols to sell. Anyway, he, he was always trying to sell symbols. And Kevin is a, a great dude and was, was not the guy who broke into my truck at all. Right. I mean, you know, he is, he is not that guy. But anyway, but he came in and he had the symbol – and they and I was looking at it, and on the bottom I had written JF underneath the bell on the mm-hmm. symbol, and, and he had it up there, and he would always come in and try to sell trade symbols and stuff to West. Anyway, he put the symbol up there on the, the counter, and, and I just kind of glanced over, and I was like, oh, my God, where'd you get that? And he said that he found it at this uh, pawn shop right down the street from where the drums got stolen years before that, and um, I was, like, freaking out. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he found it. And, and he was like, you know, he was freaking out, too. He was like, I didn't take it, I promise. And I was like... <laughs> Trust me, man. I don't think that you did at all. Um, but it's just cool to see that symbol back there. And Wes, out of the kindness of his heart, bought that symbol from him and then just handed it right back over to me. And I mean, man. just you know, stuff like that is just you know, yeah. unbelievable. Just yeah. so, I owe that guy so big. And and uh, but that's a, a trade-in story. And like I said, I've seen that. I've seen that happen a million times where he has to wait you out. Right. Right. It's. it's uh, you reminded me of, of a funny story about Kevin. Kevin is just a. a freakishly good trombone player he's playing in in airman of note right now i believe um but as as good a trombone player as he is like he's almost as good a jazz drummer (laughs) Um, yeah and uh he was getting ready he was done with school he was getting ready to move to new york and i was talking with ben leifer the bassist right uh, who's a mutual friend of ours and and I was joking around with Ben. I was like, so you think when Kevin gets to New York, he's going to, you think he's going to hit like as a drummer or, or on the trombone? And Ben said, neither, because there's too many drummers in New York already. And who gives a fuck about trombone? <laughs> 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 yeah, that's sadly probably very true. <laughs> Kevin well, found his own way. Yeah, it ended up being the trombone, man, with Airman a Note. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, cool. The, the last thing I want to talk about is just connected to Explorers is just your, your teaching career because it, it seems like um, – it, it, it doesn't seem like teaching is, is something that you do out of necessity. It seems like you have a genuine passion and enthusiasm for, for education and for kids, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, I, you know, I think a lot of drummers, I would, I would probably include myself in this, you know, like – I, I like teaching. I, I do get something out of it. Um, I don't like all kids, <laughs> you right. know, yep. um, but, uh, from, from what I've seen, it, it looks like you really genuinely have a lot of fun teaching. You know, I, I do. I, I like teaching and I like those kids. And, um, in a lot of ways I can really, you know, I relate to a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these kids and, um, you know, I, I think kind of my experience, like, you know, we were talking about earlier to where, you know, like I was saying, like, I, I want to be, you know, I, I need to, to be, you know, to be encouraged and, to, you know, especially when I was, when I was a kid, I needed to be encouraged. I need to be motivated. And, and I had, my parents were great at that, you know, totally. Um, and everybody around me was, um, I had extremely supportive parents that really wanted me to do it. And so, and so I really like, I really like, um, like working with kids just kind of for that fact, just kind of for that. I mean, I like, you know, I like encouraging them and I like for them to have fun, you know, because I mean, you know, the first thing I ever did on the drums was play to appetite for destruction. You know, I mean, that was, and that was fun. I mean, I was not, you know, I wasn't down in my basement to, to try to prove anything. It was just fun to do. And so, and so I like working with kids just to, um, to, so that they, they have fun doing it. And I, and I really do. I, I genuinely, um, you know, I can't can't really off my head over the over the years think of any kid that I really just didn't like. Wow! So in, in, 
I cannot say the same thing. Um, <laughs> that I really had any problems with. I mean, I know that there are some that are probably, um, I know, <laughs> well, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, if I thought hard enough about it, I probably could. But, but I really, you know, I just, I like kids and I like, and I love drumming and I yeah. like, you know, and I love kind of passing that on to, uh, to kids as cheesy as that sounds. I really do. I, well, I, I mean, it. it's a, it's a little bit cheesy, but like you have, you, you not only have an enthusiasm for kids, but like I, when I see you play, you, you look like a kid, like you have a childlike joy and enthusiasm just for drumming. <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. like you, you can't believe you're on stage, like really doing it, just having this much fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so it's, it's, That's- it's great to see you pass that on to, to all the little, all the little chillins that, that, uh, <laughs> people like me sometimes don't have the patience for, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely something I love doing and, you know, to be, uh, more pragmatic about it. Um, I really, uh, teaching really just makes you a better drummer in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, I think, because I mean, you know, you just, you sit there and you do a lot of basics mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, it's like the basketball player who, you know, who practices, shot a three three uh three pointer after three pointer right? right i mean you know it's it's kind of the same thing with with drumming it really it really helps you um it really helps you uh um uh, with your basics and although it doesn't seem like it right now it helps you uh convey ideas better you know yeah. I mean, it really you have to you have to get ideas that that aren't easy to disseminate into one sentence and make them you know, make you yeah. have to be able to do that. Make, and make it bite size for an eight year old. Right. Which is very difficult. In a lot yeah. Of time. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, this was a great talk, man. It was great. Great to see you. If, even if it's only digitally, uh, <laughs> likewise, man. And, uh, and just great to hear about, about everything you're doing there. Best of luck with Danielle, Nicole. It sounds like she's just going to set the blues world on fire here. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I listen to the, like I've told you in the past, I listen to these things constantly. We're on the road. And, uh, I mean, we're leaving tonight. We're driving tonight at one o'clock. We're driving to Houston. Right. So, uh, I'm sure I'll listen to them on my, on my shift. <laughs> I listen, I listen to these podcasts constantly. And I, I try to listen to political, I tried to change it up and listen to, you know, other kind of kinds of shit, but man, I always end up going to this one yeah. and Rafini's. Yeah. Oh, Rafini's killing it, man. Yeah. He's, He's he's cool, man. I mean, you know, I I I I love a lot of the interviews he does. I like a lot of the interviews you guys do. I like the one with uh, Peter Erskine a couple weeks ago. That oh was great. yeah, that was great. That was really. And cool. then that one with with uh, Duffy. I listened to that one last week, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. He's a yeah, great, that, dude. Yeah, man. You know, and I think that he was at North Texas when I was there. That's why that, that name sounds familiar, man. I think that he was. You're probably. I think, was, I think you're around the same age. You were probably. How old are you? I'm 40. I just turned 40. I think you were a little behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, like I said, I know that I, I think we were there right about the same time. Some of those guys he was mentioning from North Texas were definitely there when I was there. Sutter yeah. and uh, mm, Sutter had Sutter had just left, but Carlock was still there. Um, and um, was Ari Honig there at that point? Maybe it was. You might um, be right, yeah. I was talking to Duffy uh, and he talked about, you know, the culture that it like it was it was competitive. It was like really hard nosed. But um, like the guys he was with, like his class of drummers, like everybody, everybody pulled each other along. It was like, you're Mm going to fucking pull your weight. I'm not going to have a shitty rehearsal because you 
didn't learn your fucking marimba part. Um, right. And uh, like at, at first it sounded cool. It's like everybody's in it together. Everybody's helping each other, blah, blah, blah. But it it also sounds kind of like Nam, you know, <laughs> like, right? yeah, like a platoon, you know, yeah, fighting exactly. for survival. And, uh, and the other thing with that guy too is that he did the drum corps thing before that, which is, I mean, and you've done that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he mentioned that like drum corps just kind of hardened him and made him resilient. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, it's uh, it's it's probably dinner time for you and the, and the yeah. I got to go teach a lesson actually, and then it's oh. dinner time. All right then. <laughs> Great to talk to you, man. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. It was really fun, man. There you go, Jan Faircloth. I got to spend more time at Knuckleheads next time I'm in town. Go see Jan play. Uh, and if you're going through there, maybe try to book your band at Nucks and definitely stop by Explorers. And, uh, of course, get yourself some barbecue. I'm partial to Arthur Bryant's and Joe's. Others will swear by Gates, Jackstack, Elsie's, or the Woodyard, but it's hard to go wrong there. I, I miss Kansas City, can you tell? Uh, anyway, thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you online. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and Matt Krause is back at you next week. Take care. Take care.